we're looking at the uh, the uncontrollable sin. And just to um, kind of review a little bit, um, coveting is to delight in something. It's when we think of coveting, we think of it in a negative way, but biblically, it's neutral. It's it's not what we do, it's really what we delight in that makes coveting good or bad. What it says is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his me, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Uh, so when we delight in something that belongs to someone else, we have transgressed the tenth commandment. We have coveted. Um, we we saw two things as we've kind of tried to get a sense for coveting. Um, a couple of things we found that coveting counts. Coveting counts. Jesus is the one who made coveting count again. I think that anything that is deals with thoughts and feelings, those are very hard to control. So I think what ended up happening is they didn't talk about this, the 10th commandment, all that much. You know, commandments 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, probably more so, but you know, thou shalt not covet. I think that might have been dismissed a little bit, but Jesus didn't dismiss it. Um, he said, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If we control our thoughts, but not our behavior, we are placed in the same line as someone who didn't control their behavior. We are in the line of murderers if we're angry. We're the line of adulterers if we lust. Um, not only is does coveting count, but what we've been seeing is that coveting is uncontrollable. It's Paul. Paul's the one who ends up saying some things that lead us to scratch our head. Look what he said. I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire, for apart from law, sin is dead. With respect to coveting, then, that commandment produces the very things it prohibits. That's what Paul is saying. And if we tune that in, that's like, how can that be? So if I try to control coveting because God says to me not to, no, don't covet, or else if I try to control that, what ends up happening, it will produce more covetous desires. And that's what we've looked at. Trying to control coveting is trying to control a grease fire with water. It makes sense, but it doesn't work. Coveting first shows up in paradise. We don't live in paradise, but that's where coveting first shows up, and that's where this weed was able to put down roots. When Eve lost confidence in God, coveting took root, and that's why we see that there's a relationship between our confidence in God and our coveting. If our confidence in God is high, we feel like he'll take care of us and he'll provide for us. What we'll find is that our coveting will be lower. 
If our confidence in God is lower, all of us struggle, then our coveting will be higher. That's why we've said that coveting is fearful hunger. We can't control hunger. We'll be hungry for physical and emotional and spiritual things. But hunger is not optional, but fear is. And coveting is fearful hunger. Let's, we're digging down the roots and we're trying to figure out, okay, in light of this, so covenant counts as covenant is uncontrollable. Um, let's try to learn a little bit more about what's at the root of covenant. And we noticed a couple of things starting last week. We'll just review. Um, at the root of covenant is war, are warring pleasures. It says, what causes fights? and quarrels among you. That's what James writes. And he's writing to a church community, not a secular community, a sacred one. There's infighting going on in this church. And he asks a question, what's causing fights and quarrels among you in a church context? And then he goes on to explain, don't they come from your desires? Desires are pleasures. Don't they come from your pleasures, which war within you? So what it's describing, you and I, we want to be pleased by something. It might be secular and it might be sacred. What James is saying, what causes fights and quarrels? It's not the problem between us. It's a problem within us. We want things that don't line up. I want this, but I don't want that. I want that, but I don't want this. And that's a problem. Our pleasures are at war with each other. So here's a, if this, then this, then this. If our pleasures are at war, let's say that's what he says, our pleasures are at war. If we live for pleasure, we live at war. If my pleasures are at war and I live to be pleased, I'm going to live at war with myself because my pleasures are at war. And if I live to be pleased, I'm going to find that I have A but not B, and that makes me angry. Or I'll have B and not A, and that will make me angry. And this is all inside. It might be triggered by what we do to one another, but it's not really from what's between us. It's what's within us. That's what James is saying. Uh, when our desires are frustrated, we don't recognize that the problem is that our desires don't line up. And what we end up doing is blaming someone, and that leads to bitter envy. Bitter envy. Uh, James says, you adulterous people, don't you know the friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit he caused to live in us Envies intensely. We talked about intense envy. There's two words for envy in the Bible. One's regular envy. I want what you have. That's regular envy. Intense envy is when I not only want what you have, but I want you to suffer because you have what I don't have. It's, it has an edge to it. It's, it's like we talked about it. You know, you get a mosquito bite. And, you know, you, you, if, if, if it's itchy, you start to itch it, and what might happen, it gets infected. Um, there's envy, and then there's infected envy. Infected envy is when we not only just want something, but we want to hurt someone, ourselves or others, because they have what we don't have. And because we're, and our, our pleasures are at war within. Um, the problem is rooted inside us, not between us. That's what we saw.
last week, this week, um, we're going to add a couple things. What we end up doing, we end up feeling, having thoughts and feelings that we really don't want to have. Would you agree with me? Some of, some of the things you think and feel you wish you didn't think and feel? Am I alone on this? <laughs> I think we all have thoughts and feelings we don't want. And we try to control them because they're lousy to have. And what ends up happening, we, uh, we develop ways to try to adjust our internal world, to feel better about things, to, to feel things that feel better. We use, we try to use mood-altering experiences and substances to replace unpleasant thoughts with pleasant ones. Um, a mood-altering relationship with an experience or a substance. That's a definition for a word that you might not connect it with. A mood-altering relationship with an experience or a substance. That is a definition for what? Addiction. That's addiction. Addiction is a mood-altering relationship with an experience or a substance. I feel something I don't want to feel. I use this experience and this substance and I feel better for a little while. And then it goes on and on. This definite of addiction, the, the problem is the law of diminishing returns. You have to learn, you have to use more to get less. So the first time I use this thing to feel better about it, it works. Oh boy, that feels wonderful. I was really feeling things I didn't want to feel. And then I did this thing. I used this thing. I had this experience and oh, I feel great for a little while. And then frism, 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 frism. Here it comes again. You ever find that, you know, keeping these unwanted feelings is like keeping a beach ball under the water. Ever tried that? You know, you keep a beach ball under the water and it just wants to come up. And the same thing with unwanted thoughts and feelings. They're going to come up again and then we have to use more of our addictive experience or substance to get the same amount of relief. And it's the law of diminishing returns. There's two categories of addiction and we're going to look at briefly. There's secular addiction and there's sacred addiction. Remember what addiction is. It's a relationship with a mood altering experience or substance. Um, secular addiction. Look what um, Paul writes, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. To a Jew, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's a Jew and there's everyone else. And this was at this time, the word for non-Jews is Gentiles. So what Paul is saying to this church is, don't live as the Gentiles do. What's that like? Let's look and see what he says. In the futility or the emptiness of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity. I want to explain what that image is. Having lost all sensitivity. Literally, it's being grieved out. Let's say you, you feel bad about something. And it just goes on and on. And you get past the point where you've grieved so much that you just, you can't grieve anymore. And what you do is you detach. You just kind of turn off. 
Or you might become despondent. That's the sense of this word. Having lost all sensitivity because the feeling is so painful and, and you just can't stand it anymore. And so you just come to the place where you end up going click. I'm just going to push it away. That's what he is suggesting. Having lost all sensitivity, having become numb, having become despondent, having been grieved out, look what, the, the, what ends up happening. Um, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. Here's what it's describing. You have this feeling and it feels lousy. And you just get, I'll tell you what, I can't win. And you know what? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give myself to something that at least feels good for the short term. And you give yourself over to sensuality. And it could be sexual. It could be non-sexual. It could be food. It could be any one of a number of things. But what we do is we, is we become, well, I can't do what God wants anyways because I can't control my thoughts and feelings. So if you can't beat them, join them. So what we end up doing is giving ourselves to sensuality. I tell you what, I can't do what God wants. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what I want. And that becomes secular addiction. I'm not going to care about what God says. I can't please him anyway. So I'm just going to do what feels good. And that's, that's the root of secular addiction. Um, when despondency leads to detachment, the path leads to sensual insanity. I just need to continue to feed my senses with things that make me feel good for a little bit. This is the result, though, and that's what I want to see. So there's this, this kind of being in a place that you can't use what you have to get what you want. And that the, the problem is that comes before this point it says, these wicked people who refuse, I'm sorry, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. What it describes, if our image of God is inaccurate, if our image of God is dark, we just don't see him right. We don't see him as a new covenant God. We don't see him as being helios cheerful, benevolent, favorable to our unrighteousnesses, we'll end up trying to control ourselves in order to try to make them happy. And that's not going to work because we can't make ourselves happy because our pleasures are at war. You know what I mean? So we're, we're dealing with it inside and we're not going to be happy anyways. And so we're going to blame God and blame ourselves or blame others. Um, it, it leads then we end up getting stuck in this try hard, give up cycle. You ever do that? Try hard, give up. So you try hard to please God and you, you know, you do all the right things and you try hard and you get to a place where that it's, oh, this is too hard. And then you give up. I give up. I give up. I'm not going to do what God wants. And we do that for a while until we get to a place where we start to become a little bit afraid because our life are kind of falling apart and we go back to, we go back to try hard and try hard, give up, try hard, give up, try hard, give up. Um, there is a, there seems to be a pattern, it says in Jeremiah, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them. They will be like this bell, completely useless. He seems to be a pattern here. 
they end up turning from God and doing really bad things, idolatrous things, worshiping other gods. But what came before turning from God? They tuned into themselves. They tuned into their own hearts. And what came? So this, they turned from, but before turning from, there was... There it is. Before turning from, which is step three, there was tuning in, tuning in myself. What do I want? And before there was tuning in, there was tuning out. Tune out, tune in, turn from. We don't do things that God doesn't want us to do all of a sudden. It's kind of we get to the place where we kind of tune into our own desires. And the reason why we tune into our own desires is we tune him out. That's what James suggests. And this tune out, tune in, turn from can exist secularly, but also sacredly. There can be sacred addiction. This might be a little surprising, but let me look, look what it says. Isaiah 29. The Lord has brought over you a deep sleep. He has sealed your eyes the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. What is describing at this point, those who were tasked to reveal God were not doing so. The prophets had their heads covered, the seers had their eyes covered, so relative to hearing from God, tuning God in, blackout. It was a revelatory blackout. Those who were tasked to speak for God couldn't do it. They were not doing it. So everybody was tuning out God because there was no channel to get him. Tune out leads to tune in, leads to turn from. What happened here is the byproduct of tuning God out. This is what it describes. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What it's describing, what sacred addiction looks like, is we kind of pretend the things that we really think and feel, we push them down. And the reason and the way we keep them down is because we say real things to God rather than right things. Real things rather than right things. Because the fact is, there's all kinds of things that I don't want to have to say to God because I have thoughts and feelings that I really don't want to have. So what I do is I kind of pretend that, no, God, I love you. And I am so thankful for today. Now, at the end, that might be part of you, but there's another part of you that doesn't really love God. Right? That is kind of angry that you don't have what you want to have. And we end up using these nice words to make ourselves feel better. Church can do that. Again, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with being pleased but you know the problem, that can be addictive. It's using an experience as a means of 
diverting our thoughts away from what we don't want to think about. And can shirts become addictive? That's an interesting question in this way. You might feel a little concerned about this or that in your life. And rather than speak honestly to God, God, I don't like my life right now. I have thoughts and feelings I don't want to have. Rather than be honest with him, what we end up doing, if we don't know that he really does want us to come to the throne of grace and speak freely, we end up saying what we think he wants us to hear. He, what We think we say what we think he wants to hear. Again, praise God and thank him, but also be honest with him. And that's what the writer ends up talking about is um, the people ended up saying right things to God rather than real things. And here's the problem. When we say right things to God rather than real things, God's saying, I see what's underneath and I'm not judging you. I want you to tell me about the things you think and feel. I want you to treat me. I want you to treat me as a solution rather than the problem. I'm not going to judge you. And that's what he wants us to do. That's a really hard thing to learn. It's easier to go in sometimes into church and have an experience that makes us feel better. But then the only problem is when we get away from church, we don't feel better for very long. And um, we compare ourselves with others and convince ourselves that God is pleased. And this is a mistake. But it says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God doesn't look at what we say. He looks at what we think deeply. And the problem is these people were saying nice things in order to push real things under the water. And Jesus sees the real things. It says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When we say right things, he looks past these expressions to what our deep thoughts and feelings truly are. He looks at the thoughts and feelings we lock up and hide away. In other words, covenant counts. It's important to notice, you look in the Bible, we find that there's instances of secular addiction, immorality, sensuality, and there's also experience of sacred addiction. Who did Jesus have a more difficult time with? Those who were secularly addicted, those who were immoral, or those who were sacredly addicted, those who were judgmental? Well, the answer is... Jesus had an easier time with prostitutes and sinners than he did with Pharisees. It was more difficult for him to allow, to get them to a place where they would be able to be honest with him. Um, warring pleasures. So here's what we come to when we're going to talk about where we're going to go with this. Um, we can't really be wholehearted. And that's, I think that's kind of a, kind of a result that we have warring pleasures. We can't be wholehearted. We don't want just one thing. Um, that being the case, um, we can't control coveting. Warring pleasures and bitter envy lead to secular and sacred addiction. We surface pleasant thoughts and feelings and try to sweep distressing thoughts and feelings under the rug. Um, we're going to talk about five steps over the next five weeks that we're going to use. We're going to find one at a time a way to soothe coveting. And here's what we're going to look at. Number one, be real. That's what we'll talk about next week.
be real. Secondly, be still. Third, speak freely. Fourth, wait perseveringly. Fifth, respond gently. We'll take one of them a week. Be real, be still, speak freely with him, wait perseveringly, and respond gently as a way to soothe coveting. We can't satisfy our pleasures, and we can't silence them, but we can soothe them, and there's five things we can do. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for the honesty of the people who wrote the Bible. They didn't fantasize about spirituality being easy. They dealt with real thoughts and feelings that were unpleasant. Um, James says to us that there's warring pleasures inside. When we don't get what we want, we react with bitter envy. We try to fix that by secular addiction, try to make ourselves feel better, but it doesn't last long, or, or sacred addiction. I pray that you would help us to be able to hold our thoughts and feelings and hold on to you at the same time. Um, pray that we'd learn to be real and to be still and to speak freely and to wait perseveringly and to respond gently. In Jesus' name, amen.